week on Business Brief, we'll take a look at Kansas City's emergence as a hub for women's professional sports. Then we'll hear about a new center in central Missouri that aims to provide a safe space for youth. Welcome to Business Brief, Missouri Business Alert's podcast focused on the business news and issues shaping the state. My name is Siggy Reese, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ansley Franco. Ansley, how are you doing this week? I was doing well. I've finally gotten into semester's workflow for classes and other responsibilities, but I did manage to find some time this week to watch the episode of The Bachelor with my roommate, so that was some really good downtime in between homework. I haven't started watching the season yet, but it's definitely on my ever-growing to-do list. Um, I kind of spent the week, you know, just kind of figuring out, like you said, this semester's workflow and hanging out with my uh, roommates, stuff like that. So I've been a little preoccupied, but I'm, I'm ready for the weekend where I can kind of just chill. Yeah, me as well. I definitely know that there's a few things that I still have to get done this weekend, but I'm going to try and not think about it until Friday or Saturday. <laughs> Fair enough. Are you ready to get into this week's headlines? For sure. Interest rate cuts are not imminent, according to a statement from the Federal Reserve Bank this week. The central bank met Tuesday and Wednesday, leaving its target interest rate unchanged. The Fed's policy statement no longer mentions further hikes. However, the first cut likely won't come for months, as Federal Reserve officials aim to be more confident in reaching their target inflation goal of 2% before lowering borrowing costs. Job openings increased in December, according to new data from the Labor Department. But job quits or voluntary separations by employees reached a nearly three-year low. More people staying at their jobs could mean slowing wage growth and decreasing price pressures across the economy. The Kansas City Chiefs are headed back to the Super Bowl, and tickets for the February 11th game are breaking records for how expensive they are. As of Monday, the average price of one ticket on secondary marketplace, Tickets for Less, was just over $12,000, which is the highest ever recorded. The lowest price on the same site was around $9,500. Kansas City International Airport served over 17% more passengers this year, according to data from the Kansas City Aviation Department. The data comes nearly a year after the airport's new terminal opened its doors, but accounts for passengers who traveled through both the old and new terminals. It was the fifth busiest year on record for the airport, and it marked a continuation of the airline industry's recovery from COVID-19. story, I'm joined by Missouri Business Alert reporter Chelsea Peter. Chelsea, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Of course. It's so nice to be here. So you've done some reporting recently about the growth of women's professional sports. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so revenue from major women's sports is projected to surpass $1 billion for the first time this year, according to a report from accounting firm Deloitte. That's at least 300% higher than women's sports revenue in 2021. Wow, that's some serious growth. And I understand Kansas City is playing a part in that. Yep. So Kansas City is one of just 12 markets with franchises in two of three big women's sports teams leagues. This year and next are shaping up to be big years for the city's women's pro sports teams. Okay. So Kansas City is on the short list of cities with multiple women's pro teams. Why are the next couple years going to be so big for those teams? 
First, the current Kansas City's National Women's Soccer League team will open a new stadium in March. It will be the first stadium built specifically for a professional women's sports team. And next year, the city's franchise in the Pro Volleyball Federation will make its debut. The league launched this year, and Kansas City will join in its second season. Oh, wow. There's a lot going on. Let's start with the current. What should we know about the team and its new stadium? The stadium represents a significant investment for the team. It cost about $117 million to build, and the team has a new training facility that costs an additional $18 million. Danny Melniak, the current vice president of communications, says the facilities are part of the team's efforts to elevate the standards in women's sports. There are so many different levels and so many people focused on the details of what's important, not only to women's sports, but to sports to players, to athletes, to fans. Um, I think it takes it takes a different level of how you think about sports in general. Interesting. That's a lot of money spent on a team's facilities. Yeah, it is. But Welniak says the current ownership group sees it as an investment that will generate returns. We are proof that women's sports is not just a charity. Women's sports can make money. And what sort of returns are the current owners seeing on their investment? Well, it is a little too early to tell, but last fall, a valuation of National Women's Soccer League teams by the publication Sportico put the current's value at $75 million. That was third highest in the league. Okay, let's shift gears from soccer to volleyball. You said the Pro Volleyball Federation is brand new. What can you tell us about Kansas City's team? The league started this year with seven teams, so Kansas City and three more teams will join next year. There's still a lot unknown about the Kansas City team, like its name, but a former professional volleyball player and college sports administrator, Lori Thomas, was recently announced as president of the team. Here's Thomas. This has not been done before. The league is brand new. Every franchise is brand new. So we are going to watch and learn. What's the market like for women's pro volleyball? Is there an appetite for this new league? Yeah, well, volleyball is gaining major attention and popularity throughout the nation. In August, the University of Nebraska women's volleyball team hosted a game in a football stadium that drew more than 90,000 fans. The game even set an attendance record for a women's sporting event. And TV ratings for women's college volleyball are on the rise. Wow. And this new pro league feels like Kansas City will be receptive to volleyball? That's right. In fact, both Thomas and Moniak mentioned the city's sports culture as key to the success of their teams. Here's Thomas again. Kansas City is a sports community. It's a sports city. And so we just feel like it's, it's a perfect timing. There's no question these two teams are working to do that. Chelsea, thank you for taking time to speak with me today. You got it. Thank you for having me. To read more about Kansas City's burgeoning women's professional sports industry, you can find Chelsea's story on MissouriBusinessAlert.com. we'll be talking about a new youth center in central Missouri. What is a youth center? It's typically an organization dedicated to helping young people reach their full potential by supporting them through resources like job training and a variety of programs. Interesting. Tell me about the new center that just opened. 
The new Peace and Hope Center is located in Columbia and is designed to be welcoming and safe for community members. KBIA, the NPR member station in Columbia, produced this story. Here's KBIA reporter Rebecca Smith. As you walk into the new Peace and Hope Center for Youth in downtown Columbia, you're greeted by a booming voice saying welcome in, and a wide, bright space filled with bookcases, individual computer workstations, and inspirational messages on the walls. At the front of the room is a large TV, and possibly the biggest couch I've ever seen. We're offering an environment for children to engage in an interactive learning program. Our focus is on empowering youth to take control of their life and build a foundation for a positive future. That's Fuquana Haggard. She's the new program director and has been involved for about a month. She says she was drawn to this work because of her own past. Um, I experienced childhood trauma got bullied, got picked on in school, and then had went to an alternative school. Mr. Jarrett in Pulaski County, God rest his soul, saw me for who I was when I couldn't see me. So she jumped on the chance to give back to today's kids. Haggard says the center will offer teenage kids a quiet, safe space to focus on schoolwork, but it will also focus on enrichment and opportunity like the Workforce Development Program, where kids can learn graphic design and print their own t-shirts, tumblers, and mugs. We hear this term all the time, that children are the future. Well, we want to help mold that future. Walking further into the center, the men behind it, Lonnie Lockhart Bay and Julian Jackman, are showing off a community room filled with couches, ping pong, and foosball, a gaming room with large gaming chairs and multiple consoles, and a TikTok room where kids can make their own videos in a safe, aesthetic environment. But the whole point of a lot of this stuff back here is to incentivize. Let's make sure the work is done so you can play. And when you play, you're not going to be all stressed out about other things in life. Jackman says the center is a nearly 20-year dream coming to fruition. He and Lockhart Bay were both incarcerated at a young age and spent many years in the Missouri Department of Corrections. For us, the streets became our foundation. That's what we believed in. That's what we thought was right. We thought that was our friends. We thought that was family. And it's not. It's places like this that I needed to show me what family, what love, what caring and understanding and being compassionate and having empathy. I needed somewhere like this to do that. And the center is an extension of work they're already doing. They have a contract with Columbia Public Schools to work with at-risk youth at school, and they spend time walking around neighborhoods, building relationships with kids who remind them a lot of themselves. Now, a new partnership with Big Brothers Big Sisters of Central Missouri, funded by American Rescue Plan or ARPA funding from the city, will allow them to reach more kids through the center. They're hoping for 50 or so at the start. Typically with Big Brothers Big Sisters, it's one-on-one. -on -one. So you have one big brother with one little brother, one big sister with one little sister. There's a lot of kids in this town that could really use a mentor. Ann Merrifield is the executive director and says the new site-based program matches one big with four littles. So we're going to be able to serve more kids, right? At the end of the day, everyone involved agrees that they want to give Columbia kids a community space, a safe space, a consistent space and ultimately, a space to grow. From the KBIA Health and Wealth Desk, I'm Rebecca Smith. It is now time for us to get into our words of the week. Ansley, what's your word this week? I actually have two words, and my words are energy efficiency. Okay, what's going on with energy efficiency? 
Ameren, the state's largest electric utility, is expanding its energy efficiency and demand response programs for customers. Got it. So what are the details? The company filed this week to expand access to rebates and incentives through 25 different programs. The estimated cost is nearly $400 million. Okay, and what's the timeline for the expansion? If the Missouri Public Service Commission approves a plan, it will be implemented from 2025 to 2027. That's all I've got this week. What's your word, Siggy? My term is grape gripes. Oh my goodness, more alliteration. You're going to have to explain that. Who's griping about grapes? That would be Charles Hart. He's a grape grower in southern Missouri, and he's suing Augusta Winery, which is a St. Charles County winery owned by the Hoffman family of companies. And why is Hart suing the winery? Hart alleges the winery misled him when trying to purchase his grapes. Interesting. How so? So, according to the lawsuit, the winery reached out to Hart in November 2021 about purchasing his entire vineyard of grapes. And under the impression that all of his grapes would be sold, he told his regular buyers he wouldn't be able to provide product for them that season. However, the Augusta winery never finalized a contract and only purchased some of the grapes it had initially promised. So what happened to the rest of the grapes? Well, Hart was able to sell some of the remainder to former and commercial customers, and he also made his vineyard available to the public to come pick their own grapes. However, the lawsuit alleges nearly $200,000 worth of grapes still rotted. For a closing thought, here's Danny Welniak from the Kansas City Current again on a motivation driving the franchise. You're lifting women. You're lifting um, athletes who haven't had that chance before. And therefore, you're empowering your fans and you're empowering your community to um, not only get behind it, but be a part of it. Well, that is all for this week. The M33 Project provided the music for this episode. For my co-host, Ansley Franco, editors Brianna Davis, Gabriella Lacey, Sharon Rakeb Xavier, Skylar Rossi, and Michael Stacy. I'm Siggy Reese, and this has been Business Brief. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.